Welcome to Positive Disintegration Podcast. This is episode 13, Through the Dabrowski Lens. Hello, happy listeners. Welcome back to Positive Disintegration, a framework for becoming your authentic self. I'm your host, Emma Nicholson, and with me is co-host, Dr. Chris Wells. Hi, Chris. How are you going today? Hi, Emma. I'm well, thanks. How are you? Excellent. And it's good to join you on this rather sunny Easter weekend. Yes. Well, it's been pretty nice here, too. So, yeah, it is nice to join you on this lovely Easter weekend. And we've got a um, quite a big, chunky conversation coming up, which is probably on topic for, for Easter because we, we're going to be talking about empathy and and spirituality and all sorts of stuff so I'm kind of excited to be on theme actually I am too I think that this is going to be a great one I agree no pressure guest yeah no pressure (laughs) for our listeners our guest today is Amanda Harper Amanda's career has always involved education uh, beginning in 1988 as a music teacher in primary and high schools she then went on to curriculum development and leadership and adult learning before moving into academia as a gifted education specialist, having gained her Master's of Education and her PhD in Gifted Education. Amanda is actively involved in the international gifted education community and also volunteers with Tasmanian Association for the Gifted. So welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Well, I was just going to say, I am glad to finally meet you. We are admins together and the Dabrowski International Group with Bill Tillier right. on Facebook. And so, you know, I've gotten to know you like just a tiny bit there, but it's so nice to actually get to talk with you and see you. And it just makes all the difference, I think. It is. It's great to, to uh, meet you as well. I, I kind of lurk in the, in the background a little on the, on the Facebook page. So um, I, I pop my head up occasionally. But And I am there, but lurking quietly in the background. Every Facebook group needs its lurkers. So, you know, <laughs> I think that's, that, that's fair. A, a, a role I can, I can undertake, yes. Our plan for today is to talk about some of the work you did. So you did your dissertation on Dabrowski's theory, right? And then you published a few papers based on that in Roper Review, which is a yeah. journal was, um, in gifted education. I- both for my master's and my PhD, actually, was um, a, a focus on Dabrowski. Okay, that's right. I do think I knew that, but I just don't remember because at this point, I mean, I remember the first time I know, like the first paper came out, I want to say in like the end of December 2016 or something. Um, and so that's already like five years ago, more than five years ago. a long time ago. Ancient history in the world of academia, really. But it doesn't feel like that to me. Well, and part of it is that, I mean, it's not like we see, I mean, we only see a limited number of papers about the theory, really. Um, I mean, we see papers about overexcitability more than kind of the deeper theoretical issues. And so one of the things I appreciated about through the Dabrowski lens, philosophy, faith, and the personality ideal, which was from 2017, and through the Dabrowski lens, empathy and the syntonic continuum, which came out in 2019. 
And so we have some, but before we get into your papers, we have to start with our obligatory first question of how did you first learn about Dabrowski's theory? Uh, that was random, actually. So I'd been studying psych part-time at University of New England in New South Wales here in Australia. And I was coming to the end of the grad dip and had this, I don't know, how would you describe it? There was just a sense that the study stuff wasn't done yet. And so I came back from residential school and was flicking through their um, online course and unit handbook and found a Master's of Gifted Education. I applied and was accepted and quickly became one of those students who emailed the coordinator and said, please, can I have some reading? Please, can I have some reading? I know I don't start until February, but please, can I have some reading? <laughs> and Peter Marozzi, um, bless him, he obviously uh, now I know must have been rolling his eyes going, ah, oh, we've got one of those students. <laughs> and anyway, it didn't take very long for him to send me at this random article um, because I was just consuming the reading and he sent me the first, the first article on Dabrowski's theory and I'd, I'd never heard of it before, I didn't know anything about it, but within that article there was a description of the overexcitabilities and I'm just like, whoa, this is, this is voyeuristic. How is it that this person knows that this is what my life's like? This is weird. He's describing my life. It's, and it's like, right, I need to read more because this is really bizarre. How is it that, yeah, and I'm still incredulous about it, that when I read this stuff, it's like, how is it that this person just knows what this feels like? Yeah, so anyway, that's how it started. And from there, I just became a bit of a sponge and kept reading and hassling Peter Marozzi for more material. And then when I sort of started to discover more, I was able to find more and one thing led to another and here I am. That's so common, isn't it, Chris? We hear that all the time. And I describe it as the ugly duckly moment, uh, particularly with overexcitabilities where you read it, you see your reflection, you go, oh, my God, that's what's wrong with me. I'm a swan. I'm not a duck at all. Well, I didn't quite go, that's what's wrong with me, but it was a real aha uh -huh, that explains it. Explains it, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, perhaps I'm not quite as weird as I thought I was. <laughs> and also, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah, but it really was, I, I mean, it's that voyeuristic. It was like someone's been watching. It was very random and exciting and cool. Interesting. I feel like I should have seen that coming in a way, but <laughs> I, I didn't because I just, I never know how people have heard about it. But it's true that we, it does seem like there's a trend at this point that, okay. you know, it's coming to the overexcitabilities, having that shocking moment of recognition and... And realising you're not the only person in the world that obsessively cuts all your clothing tags out of your, your shirts when you buy them. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. They're so scratchy. And I do. How did you know? <laughs> hmm. I wonder. <laughs> um, I was actually wondering if you can tell our listeners, um, you've got that paper, Empathy and the Syntonic Continuum. So what's the difference? Let's just explain first. What is empathy and what is syntony? 
Right. Well, that was that was a really interesting thing because I'd never heard of the word syntony before. I didn't have a clue about it. And um, so I guess just backing back a bit, um, when I was introduced to Dabrowski, I then started to try and find, oh, well, I, I read whatever I could get my hands on. But then when I was able to access, and I found um, Bill's website, Bill Tillier's website. And at that point of time, it was, okay, so it was a little while ago, um, you weren't able to download the files, but you were able to email Bill and request copies. And so he was um, making uh, files available on CD-ROM and posting it out. And so I went down, down that path and, you know, was really excited to have, you know, encountered this website and actually being able to communicate with the, the person who had access to this original material. I just thought that was the best thing ever. Um, and so that's what I did. That, I started reading the original material and I stepped away somewhat from reading other people's writings and I just was reading what Dabrowski said. And I just thought that was fantastic. It was such a hard slog, though, because the writing style was so unusual. And I guess that's, you know, the whole deal with the word syntony. It's like I'd never heard of it. Anyway, it's 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 obviously it's not a common a common word. And that was a, a, a thread that kept happening with Dabrowski's material, the original material. It is challenging to get your head around. And I was having to read stuff multiple times over um, and reread, you know, whole chunks or whole papers or chapters or whatever um, to actually get my head around what, he, what it was that he was actually talking about. I was going through a process, and I think it was where I found this word syntony, and I've always been drawn to the concept of empathy. And I realised that there were um, many times where he'd use the word syntony and it was different to empathy. And I found that he actually used the word syntony in two different ways as well uh, in his writing. So to start with, it was um, a, a sameness or a, a settledness. Um, and he described, used it in relation to level one and level five, where there was no conflict with yourself or with others because you were either, you know, you'd reached personality ideal at level five and everything was sort of settled and there was this oneness. And same at level one, you just went along with the masses. There was no internal sense of conflict, no um, wanting to contradict societal norms or because you just accepted blindly everything that was around you. And there were, so he used it in that way. And then he started to, there were occasions um, where he used it in a different way. And so I actually started to map those because they are very visual. I understand things better when I can see things. <laughs> so I stuck a whole pile of pieces of paper together and set them out on my kitchen bench. And I was going through all the material and I mapped each time he used the word syntony and each time he used the word empathy and also where he used the word sympathy because they're all different. And I actually still have them. I dug them out the other day and there's this big, long, rolled-up pieces, pieces of A4 paper that were all stuck together to make one, because I didn't have any butcher's paper, and to make one big 
piece and I was mapping with a pen, you know, writing out the quotations and mapping how and where he used those terms, but in relation to which level of development he was talking about. So how he used the word syntony at level one, how he used it at level five. And so I wrote those, those quotations out on this big piece of paper at either end of this continuum. And then where empathy started to appear and how he described it. And that was the genesis of the, um, the continuum image that ended up appearing in um, the article, uh, which is actually a much shrunk down version of the great big piece of paper that I had spread out on my kitchen bench um, because I couldn't include every quotation. I just had to pick sort of key ones to get across the, um, the key points. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I have to tell you, Amanda, that that is how I approached learning about the third factor and learning about developmental potential. So I love that. I yeah. went through like a similar kind of process and I did that with overexcitability too. Yeah. Um, well, with overexcitability, I, it was the same thing where I printed out all of these places in Dabrowski's work and in Michael's work just to look at the difference between how they were talking about them, you know? Yeah. And, but yeah, I, I'm, this is the thing I think that you miss when you're just reading somebody's paper. I love to hear that, like, you're like a kindred spirit to me now that we like have like mapped these things out. And even just hearing yeah. you talk about reading the original materials and what a kind of a slog it is and how it's slow going at first and oh, you have to read and reread. I think that's yeah. really validating for people to hear because it's it's not easy to read him in the original no. and it does take work and dedication. Yeah, it's hard. It is. It's really hard. Also, too, some of the, especially the earliest stuff, like the, the usage of terms, not only are there different terms that aren't in common usage now, but some of the terms were used differently when he was writing in comparison to now, even though it's not that many decades later, really, in the whole scheme of the life in the universe, but that the, the terminology has changed and usage of words has changed um, considerably. So, yeah, it's, it's hard stuff to read. Um, with the, the syntonic continuum, though, I was so thankful with the documents that Bill makes available that they're searchable. And so you can actually bring up the documents and do a search and then check every single iteration of the usage of a word. Um, and so it means that that kind of research is very accurate and you're not just cherry-picking bits that might suit a purpose, you actually get the whole, if, if you're meticulous with your, your research, you actually can make an assessment on the whole lot, which is amazing. It's, um, it's an incredible resource that is available. Still hard going, <laughs> but it's great that it's available. It is great. It is. And that's what I appreciated. When I came to it, I was in my dissertation process, actually, and so I had, I was using qualitative data analysis software anyway. And so I decided I was having such a hard time when I first came to the Dabrowski materials that I decided to take all of his books because the PDFs 
are searchable and codable, I was able to put all of the PDFs into the software and use it to do retrievals, code. So I was able to code and then, you know, pull out retrieval documents with coded segments for these terms. And it really helped me. I mean, these aren't easy books to just sit down and read. And so by pulling out constructs and just reading about one construct at a time, I was able to really like immerse myself in it, see how he changed and evolved over time in the way he talked about them. And so I really appreciate the way that Bill made the materials available that way. Absolutely. It's made a world of difference. I mean, there's a lot of, of writing on the OAs and there's a lot, I mean, there's still writing on, you know, the five levels, but to actually dig down into that and hone in on something that's kind of different. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that because it was like, it was a treasure hunt. It was like finding gold when when you actually stumbled across, like the word synteny um, that sort of started this discussion. It's like, what is that? And dig down and, and find out and, and look at the different usages and what it might mean. And yeah, it, it really was like a treasure hunt. I was like a little kid. I think, I think though that work in trying to understand like what the meanings of the words are because let's face it this is some old war generation polish guy that's writing this stuff it's you know not a tiktoker so you know the the gap from old language to modern language is quite significant the, the work shows and for me coming from like a financial services and insurance background where defining key terms is really critical to people's understanding of the work as a whole so say you've got a financial contract or some sort of you know insurance policy document if you don't understand what those key terms mean you're going to struggle to apply the context to everything else that's written about it Um, and I just wanted to read out your definitions Amanda of synteny and empathy because I think you've done a really good in taking his terms and for the research it's actually manifest in how you've been able to describe that um so for our listeners i'm just reading amanda's um term of of syntony so it's like for the term syntony is used within debrowski's writing to describe a sense of balance and oneness it refers to a state where there is no inner turmoil and no conflict but there is a deep sense of connection and unification with the existence in the world so I think if you understand that every time you come across synteny, then it makes a little bit more sense. Um, and you've defined empathy as empathy is a response based on reflection, a sense of nurturing towards other people and an understanding of other circumstances. So you can clearly see that they're two completely different things, but I think understanding that meaning behind it and defining that term just helps people you know, when they go to the work to be able to make sense of it. And what's really important, though, too, is how those manifest because they, um, as with absolutely everything, they are multi-level constructs. It's not like you have empathy or you don't. Empathy doesn't emerge until the latter part of level three and it's going to change in different circumstances and as an individual evolves and changes with the levels as well. Um, and so it's, it is absolutely a multi-level construct and Dubrovsky gives us examples 
in the, the multi-levelness of emotional functions book, um, there's a whole pile of examples of all kinds of things at all of the different levels. And I think that's really like that's a key takeaway is to always remember that no matter what the construct it is that we're talking about, they are, everything is multi-level and changes according to the level of that the person is operating on. Almost like it has to be built in a way and it's going to look different as it's growing. You know, you don't just wake up one morning and you go, I'm empathetic, thank you. It just sounds yeah. the ground from nowhere. Absolutely. It's a bit like the construction of a house. You get your plan for your house, but at each stage of the building, you know, a brick is going to look different. At the beginning, a brick is going to look like a brick, but then as it starts to become part of a wall, whether it be an external wall or an internal wall or a bit up near the roof or its context is different and then it might get rendered. And, you know, it's like that one brick ends up being something quite different all along the way. Um, so it's very much the same. And every every element of life is like that and doesn't. So synteny, empathy, sympathy. And that's one of the things that I think is, um, is critical when people think about any of the constructs within Dabrowski's work. It's everything is multi-level. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the... Um the cases and multi-levelness too because it's true that in the second part of multi-levelness you can actually see the research and see the examples for yourself and it's interesting that like I mean empathy and synteny are continuing dynamisms or really like in that chart I just pulled it up to, to have a look like this constellations of dynamisms figure that was in multi-levelness and um you know so temperamental synteny is at a much lower level than empathy, you know, and, but like empathy is continuing dynamism. So like you said, it, it changes and looks different across levels. And yeah. like this, I'm so like, <laughs> I knew that this would be a conversation that was worth having. These are the nuances that really get lost for people who don't dig in to Dabrowski for themselves and really try to figure these things out. Yeah. And so in the syntonic continuum diagram, and I've, I mean, that's, that's basically, as I said, it's an extract of the mapping exercise, but everything that's mapped onto that is a direct quotation from Dabrowski's writing. And so where he has described primitive temperamental syntony, that citation is there. So it's not actually me interpreting it. It's actually just me bringing together his writings and extracting what he has said and condensing it into one space. It's not really, and I, I think that was actually quite an important part of what I was trying to achieve, that it wasn't me trying to overlay my understanding, but it was actually me sharing in hopefully a more accessible way what Dabrowski had said. It's not, you know, just to, to really get back to the original writing. I found your syntonic continuum figure really inspiring. And I thought to myself that it would be fun to take the documents that I made with quotations when I, like, like I said, like for the third factor or developmental potential and to make similar figures for them just because, oh, that would be especially fantastic. like, 
right? Like, and especially if I could find some way to share them on a website or something just to make it available for people. I'm always trying to think about how to make these things more accessible. And so yeah. it's a great, it's, this is a great figure and I'm sitting here looking at it. And of course, listener, you can't see it, but we will, I will find a way to, I will share these papers in the show notes if I can and make them available. We'll, we'll figure that out. Even sticking to his terms, the whole exercise, as you said, Amanda, you're a visual person, right? The whole exercise of actually putting the puzzle pieces in the right order and making a overall picture of it or some sort of diagram or a map um, helps people see it like, and how it all fits together. So you include one of my, a quote that I really love, Amanda, from Multilevelness, which is from, it's Dombrowski, 1996. And so I'm going to read it because I think it's great. And here you say that he profoundly identified the power, place, and purpose of empathy. Growth of empathy is one of the most powerful developmental dynamics and one which most clearly shows the progressive and hard-won change from narrow egocentrism to all-encompassing universal love. Empathy grows out of the strong emotions of search for the meaning of life and finding it in concern and service to others and out of the need for self-perfection as a human being. Self-perfection is not possible in a vacuum, but grows out of a sense of relatedness with others, measured in terms of an ideal other, embodied in one's personality ideal. It grows out of conflicts with oneself, which produce an increase in caring and appreciation of others and a deeper humility within oneself. And that was from page 70. And I love that. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite quotations, I would say, from any of his works, because it just, it just so clearly shows how, if you are at a higher level in this theory, you are caring about other people outside of yourself and beyond yourself. And that's like that service to others is what is important. I guess to get to that whole of life thing it's a and change and new direction and new evolution of self comes about after a whole pile of little things little experiences or changes I mean some of those may be as a result of big experiences and profound events in someone's life that might trigger a positive disintegration but I guess one of the things that concerns me is people may confuse the profoundness of a positive disintegrative experience and that movement to next level and searching for the personality ideal, let alone, you know, getting even vaguely close because, like, who does? These are, you know, it's not like, oh, I had a positive disintegrative experience yesterday when, I don't know. I did some 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 little thing happened, but yeah, today I'm back to normal. It's like that's not what it is. We're talking about really profound change to a person's psyche and values, and it then becomes ingrained and in a person um, for the betterment of themselves and humanity, and just being good with a capital G. It's, these aren't little things. What Dabrowski is talking about is really profound mega stuff that makes a person move forward towards the ideal. And, and I guess that's why 
faith and philosophy and spirituality was so important to Dabrowski because that's the kind of bigness and profound level of development that he's talking about. It's not the minute. Even in that quote that you just read out, Chris, he talks about, you know, hard won. It's a lot of hard work. And if we think about the common social attitude towards other people, and it's mostly look after yourself, you know, it's a bit dog eat dog, that leap from there to this sort of repeated notion of like self-sacrifice and generosity and unconditionality of your love at these higher levels, like that's a big gap to jump. And it, it doesn't just happen overnight. And I think when you actually achieve that kind of level, a person might achieve that kind of level, you don't even think about it. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be good to that person because that actually requires a conscious decision. Once you're at that level, it just is who you are. There is no need for it to be a conscious decision because there is no alternative. There is just, it's just in your very DNA almost. Um, and I think that's why he describes so few people ever achieving level five because it's a life of sacrifice and it's but there is no other way it's not oh I'm going to be a level five person therefore I'm going to sacrifice it's just who they absolutely the very essence another Dabrowskian word the very essence of that person is to be in that way right I just had the um the term transactional in mind that's what it's not you know I mean I think like yes. it seems to me like at lower levels when people are more egocentric things are transactional it's like i'm doing this for you because maybe i'll get this from you in return or yeah. whatever and at the higher levels it's like it just becomes who you are and you don't have to think about it because you just are good with a capital and g i it, like that it was really cool i've just recently written a, a chapter in a book that um looks at the transactional nature of gifted giftedness and um, transformational giftedness and on wisdom and and that was that was exactly what I was writing on was the place of Dabrowski and how that relates to what wisdom is and you know that higher stuff it's very very cool that sounds great actually you know I think I saw that too and I just but it's in a book, right? Like it's in an yeah. edited book coming out. I get alerts for anything related to the theory. And so sometimes I see like a title of a book or that something came out, but I don't have a time. I don't have time to click. Is it, it's a Sternberg book, right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. And Don Ambrose and Sarah Karema. Yeah. I'll look forward to reading that because that's transformational giftedness is interesting. I mean, and it's right in this wheelhouse. So this is kind of a good segue to the other paper on philosophy all right. Well, let me just. This is a. This is just one sentence that you wrote that I thought was worth worthy of discussion in this episode. Dombrowski portrays the norms of society as largely counter to the personal awareness and motivation that is required as an individual moves to the levels within the theory of positive disintegration. Yeah, I mean the norms of society are totally counter to what he's saying about moving through these levels. That's yeah. one of the things I think that makes this theory so hard for people to wrap their heads around. Having, you know, responding to societal norms is level one. 
He makes that very clear. And it's only as you move away or it's only if you can actually step back and reassess societal norms and assess yourself against those norms and against the kind of human you wish to be that you can start to move past level one. And, and I mean, Dabrowski says the vast majority of people don't move past level one, but yet live perfectly happy, contented lives. Um, it's not, you know, that's not a, a negative valuation. It's, it's perfectly normal. Right. And I think one of the things that um, caught my eye about that particular sentence actually was that just one word that keeps coming up again and again with my clients lately is that I keep saying to people that they have to kind of break through or overcome their conditioning. Like so many people come to me because they're still struggling with the stuff they dealt with their parents or the things that they learned in school or like all of these, these norms are the things that they, that were imposed on them yeah. values from other people that were imposed on them. And so like breaking that conditioning is a big part of yeah. getting well and growing and being yeah. healthier and from a Dabrowskian way. Dabrowski doesn't use hard one lightly. Right. It is. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that he's talking about in I believe um, it's like to when you dig down into the descriptors of the levels and the different behaviors and attributes at the levels, you're not talking about tiny, small, insignificant changes. These are these are well, they're not changes. Tiny, insignificant elements. They're actually he's actually talking about you know human systemic change. The thing that I loved about that particular paper. Um, that you did is jumped out at me that Dabrowski's attitude even towards religion, which, you know, could be argued as one of the more dogmatic aspects of human society, was also to shake off what you have been taught and find your own path in a way, which is like completely counterintuitive to what most major religions are sort of all about in a lot of ways. And this quote, that you put in came through to me and it's God is a God of love and human freedom who loves man and longs for his love, but love out of free will through the understanding and acceptance of ideals and not just their imposition. So yeah. even his attitude on religion fits in with his whole thing of break yeah. off that conditioning, break off that socialization. Yeah. And people look at those two things and go, hang on, religion, breaking of <laughs> breaking of dogma I can't put those two things together yeah it's awesome isn't it it's just like such a like when you when you do bring those two elements of his thinking together I mean it matches up beautifully because it's not about like his perception of of religion is not about guilt guilting people into behaviors or other humans standing in judgment it's I mean that's not what it's about it's about that that development, about pure love, about generosity. It's, yeah. It's and, and he talks about, you know, don't have a monologue about God, have a dialogue with God. Yeah. But, like, yeah. for someone, someone like Chris sitting there with a client trying to go break off that social conditioning, like, that's got to be a real hard pill for some people to swallow. Yeah, definitely. It is. I wanted to say, Amanda, one thing that's really cool about this paper 
And for the listener, we are shifted now to the philosophy, faith, and the personality ideal one. Um, is that you analyzed a text, an unpublished manuscript in this paper, and it's called Confessions of Faith and Thoughts and Aphorisms. And it's cool that there are these, there's, there are some unpublished manuscripts that are available. Yeah. Um, and so tell us about your process with this document and going through it and what that was like for you, because I would love to hear about that. That was like striking gold. So it's, it's more treasure hunting again. I mean, I have like, seriously, this has just been the most exciting, inspiring thing to stumble across. Um, I just stumbled across the fact that there was these, these documents and I was, they were in an archive in Canada. And so I was digging around online and discovered that they were there. And it's like, do I need to, this is pre-COVID. We're talking a long time ago. And it's like, do I need to get on a plane? How can I see these? I need to read them. It's like, I was a bit, I was a bit crazy with it. It's like, there was a desperation. I just had to read these. And so I actually found that I was able to get scanned copies um, and they ar arrived in my inbox um, through the through, through the archive service in in Canada, and I, I mean, it was just the most incredible thing um, to be able to read. I mean, such a privilege, Un unbelievable, just such a privilege to be able to read these papers that had not been published, that were just and great insights and extra, and it was just so exciting to be able to use these to add to the information that's out there on on TPD it was just um yeah an incredible privilege it must have been I can only imagine how cool that was and especially that so they exciting. scanned them and just emailed them to you is so cool well it did take some time and and it cost it was a service that I had to pay for um but I couldn't believe that I found them and it's like really are these really truly and it's like yeah they were it was amazing yeah, that's very neat. And so what was your process? When the documents arrived in my inbox, um, I, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to find. It was just a title. That's all I got. I had no idea what the, the written content was going to be, whether they were going to be blank pages in these documents or, or what. It was a real leap of faith. And um, I was really excited. <laughs> and then... I guess because of the other stuff of, of Dabrowski's that I'd been reading, when I got this unpublished manuscript that was around the philosophy and the faith and stuff, and to be fair, it was speaking to a lot of stuff that I'd been working through in my own existence. I mean, you don't, you don't engage with this stuff and it not speak to your own life. And, and your own experiences. And so it was, it was such a, a dual experience in that it was both exciting from an academic perspective, um, but also from a personal perspective. It just, it added so much to, to me and, and the thinking that I was, and that I was doing around my own existence um, and place on the planet, you know, so um, it was incredibly exciting and it just pulled, oh, there was a weird timing thing to get this particular 
you know, the, this material to be able to read when I was reading other things and it just, there was this real light bulb. It's like, oh, I've got to write this. And it was just, yeah, it was really strange. It was a really, a bit out there really, <laughs> the way it happened. You know what, it just, though? When you talk about that sort of stuff, it makes me think about like people like ask Chris and I, you know, what is positive disintegration and how you how do you tell the difference between what is a true disintegration and what's just a horrible, horrible moment, right? But this sort of stuff, like one of my favourite writings of his is one, Chris, you sent Existential Thoughts and Aphorisms, which he did under his pen name, mm. Um but it's these big lofty questions of what is my place in the universe and, you know, what is my relationship with higher things and how does society work as a big construct? That if you're questioning that sort of stuff, um, then you're on like a solid path, I reckon. And so for you to describe that, you know, you're looking at these things through your personal lens and going, holy hell, like my yeah. mind's blowing up, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, exactly like it. that's really like the essence itself of like what positive disintegration yeah. in a way is all about. It's like if your mind ain't exploding and the rug ain't being pulled out from underneath you, you're probably not having a disintegration. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not changing you. Agreed. Chris always okay. talks about transformation. It's got to be transformative. Mm. It's got to be transformative. Well, and so... While you were just talking, finally, I caught like, there, so this is a little section that I would like to read that follow, goes kind of perfectly with what you just said, Emma. Okay, so this is from page 265. Without the tragic, the challenging, the conflicting, and the confronting, an individual cannot, will not, experience the inner psychic transformation necessary for multi-level development or the emergence of a full empathic condition and cannot move toward the personality ideal. Similarly, without these challenges and anxieties, we are not equipped to understand or experience in its fullness the tapestry, elation, and fulfillment of the process of development. Amanda, that is beautiful. Those are your words. Those are not Dabrowski's words. And I just want to say that that, I mean, I thought oh. is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't kind of recognize them. <laughs> But yeah, I I thought that that was just a beautiful way of putting it. So thank it sums you. Sums up what I was trying to say, actually. Yeah, that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is funny when you get a little bit of distance from your writing, and then you go back to it later, and you're like, "Well, that wasn't bad." Okay, it's always a nice feeling. Or sometimes you go back and you're like, "Oh, what was I thinking?" But you know, oh uh, yeah, you can feel good bonus. about this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, God, like, oh, did I write that, really? <laughs> but then you get those gems and someone whips it out like a TV baker going, here's one I prepared earlier. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised, but that's really cool. Thank you. I want to ask you, like, so you've been to the Dabrowski Congress. Have you been to more than one? I've been to two. Which ones did you go to? Uh, 2014 and 2016. I was there in 2016, but you know, I was so new at that point that I didn't know who anyone was pretty much except yeah. for the people here in Colorado. And so it was, it was like, the, you know, it was one of those first conferences where, you know, everybody kind of knows where you're like trying to take it all in and you don't know anybody and you're just. Well, I'd only new. done two and like the 2014 one, I was like a bunny in the headlights. It's like, 
it was monumental for me, actually, huge. Um, one of one of the first conferences of any description that I'd been to, let alone a Dabrowski one, and I'd had a debacle trying to get out of the country because. <laughs> because of weather and plane cancellations and I missed my international flight and didn't arrive into Canada until really, really late at night and had to be up really, really early the next morning. And um, I must admit, Bill came and collected me from the airport really, really late and then came and picked me up again the following morning. And it's like, I was completely in awe. I mean, he's such a lovely human, <laughs> but I hadn't met him before. And I was, it's like, oh my gosh, He's a guru and I'm just this little person from this tiny island at the bottom of Australia and I, and I was late and had no sleep and my luggage had got lost. And so when I first walked into my very first Congress, it was like, ah, but everyone was so lovely. And I guess that's the one thing that I would encourage anyone to feel comfortable participating because I just was wrapped up. I mean... I knew nothing. I was just so much at the beginning, but I was completely wrapped up by everyone and they were just so lovely and supportive and welcoming and, yeah, I, I felt like I'd found my tribe within, you know, half an hour of being there. It was amazing. Hence I got on a plane and did it all again in 2016. That's dedication. I love it. That is dedication. But it was so worth it. It was like the Congress was amazing. I couldn't believe that I got to meet these people that wrote about all this stuff and I was like totally spun out. It was great. <laughs> Loved it. Yes. Yeah. That was, that's how I remember it too. Yeah, really just feeling, ex exactly, just really feeling, I don't know, like, ex yeah, exactly, feeling that and just being amazed at how comfortable it was and how, I don't know, just fulfilling it was to finally be at a conference where everybody was talking about the theory, which yeah, for me it was, was refreshing. amazing. Yep. So refreshing. I mean, because here, um, well, in, in Tasmania, no one else speaks about it. Uh, it's just me. <laughs> and if I try and talk to people about it, I generally get the rolling of eyes and then they run away and don't want to talk to me anymore. Are you going to join us virtually this summer? We're going to, you know, there's going to be the Congress in I mean, we're, it's going to be here in Denver in person for people who can make it, but there's going to be a virtual element and we're going to, I mean, it's, it should be good. I, wow. Joy, Joy Lynn okay. is a big part of yeah. it and Joy, she just put on a great com conference last month at the University of Denver. And so I have a lot of faith that she can, she can make the Congress good for us yeah, this summer awesome. and we will help. The updates. Okay. No pressure. I feel like I really pressured Eric Windhorst when he was our guest. I'm like, come on, Eric say yes and it's always it's always good to to be reminded that these things are on uh especially in a in a world that's still grappling with covid and and things I, I tend not to think very far afield to be quite honest even though the virtual thing is very much uh um more normal um my 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 focus has very much been inward with my family and and just keeping safe so it's nice to be reminded that there is stuff starting to happen again. And and not to pick on the Australian government, but um, 
you never know when they're going to shut the borders back down and you're going to get trapped Uh, somewhere. So, Yeah, look, absolutely. It's hmm. Uh, I haven't been off the island of Tasmania for a very long time, not since pre-COVID. And then it's like... We are the hermit nation. Yes. We're a nation of hermits. Yeah, I've definitely become a hermit. But it's... um, it's been an opportunity to to look at new initiatives and and think about things some more. So, well, and we're Facebook friends, and so I see that you have these two adorable dogs that you go they go trundling on the beach, and it just looks uh, wonderful. <laughs> I just am so envious. Like, yeah, why can't we go trundling on the beach with our dog? It's because well, we live cool. in Colorado. You know, less than five minutes walk from from my house, and and the two little dogs they do love it a lot. Yeah, so there's been a good bit of that through COVID, I must admit, because we've been able to get down to the beach and I garden. I find garden, gardening very therapeutic and I love planting things that produce food of varying kinds. Massive tomato and apple crop this year. It's been wonderful. Keeping the Dabrowski theme, Dabrowski theme happening. Um, I've actually established Jasneath Education which is a crossing over between um, the world of gifted ed stuff and Dabrowski. So I'm developing a series of online courses um, in all things gifted ed, but also there will be one this year looking at um, introducing Dabrowski's theory in hopefully an accessible way so that um, some of this material is available for people to work through that that's on the drawing board still but this year that's great i i was wondering what um like what are the online courses like is it um are they like videos uh is the material like what kind of a platform did you use or whatever the right word would be yeah yeah so there's a it's a combination of of stuff so you just to to work through the material you log into the website um, and there's a combination of typewritten material, video links, um, activities, a little bit of me, but it's um, it's non-assessed. It's available for people to to work through self at a you know self-paced. Um, it's just really about trying to make some of this stuff more accessible to more people in a user-friendly, non-stressed kind of way, and at home. That's great. And we really need one about the theory. So I think that's wonderful. It would be great to be able to point people to here, take Amanda's course on. on yeah, the, well, it's coming. The it's coming. I've done the, um, the gifted, gifted Ed introductory one, and I'm currently working on emotional and uh, social needs of gifted learners, uh, tall poppies, and touching on the wisdom stuff. Um, and then I'll have another one that's more specifically on Dabrowski stuff as well. So um, trying to cover a whole pile of Dabrowski material in that. Um, and I've in- implemented a newsletter too. First ed- edition went out this morning, actually. I'm really pleased. It's been something I've been just been working on and it's only short, um, but basically looking at a communication mechanism for uh conferences so I could potentially list the Dabrowski Congress material in it Um, and also looking at take a look at the 
what's been recently published in the literature because uh, not everyone can access that because they're usually often behind a paywall. So um, I'm actually finding an, a new article of that I thought was interesting and just talking about some of the key takeaways. It's not a review or, or a critique of, um, of whichever article I pick. It's just like this is what this person is saying and it's interesting. So here, <laughs> um, just to try and make some of that, that new, new thinking accessible for people as well. So, yeah, that's available for free download. Yay. Well, thanks so much, Amanda. I think that we have covered the, the basis that we wanted to cover for this episode. I mean, it, there was actually so much to talk about that. If you want to come back on and join us again, I'm sure that that would be great. And we could fill another whole episode from this philosophy one or, you know, <laughs> Well, like, this is actually I, lots of fun, and you guys weren't anywhere near as scary as I thought you were going to be. So, so thank you for being good. gentle with me. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I, f I found this really insightful, and no, we don't bite too hard. So, you know, I'm glad you <laughs> felt safe. <laughs> and thanks to you, Chris, for being on the podcast with me as well. I always appreciate you. I appreciate you, Emma. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We always appreciate you joining us and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, don't forget to hit those little stars and give us a rating. If you have any questions, feedback or topics that you'd like us to discuss, feel free to get in contact with us. You can email us at positivedisintegration.pod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter or Instagram. Until next time, keep walking that path to your authentic self.